angels by before him in heaven and earth adore him. He's just a great God. Amen. A wonderful friend at all times. Sticks closer than a brother. Amen. Is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. There is nothing too hard for God. Amen. There's nothing impossible for him. That's why the scriptures constantly take you back and bring you through so that you can see what God did. And if he did it for them, he'll do it for you. Amen. Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord again this morning. Amen. Amen. We want to get right into our Sunday school lesson. Brother Miller has been doing such an awesome job. Amen. And I'm going to take up the Sunday school offering this morning. Amen. So you pray as we get into the Word. So God bless Brother Miller. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord to everyone. Good morning. Who can tell me what we've been talking about uh, or what we started talking about last week? What was the topic on? We're in lesson two, or, um, lesson two of this series. But somebody tell me. Understanding the plan, that is the title of the lesson. Good. What particular topic or subject were we discussing uh, last week? The fall of man, right? The fall of man. What did we talk about before that? The beginning of, thank you, the beginning of life, right? <laughs> Talked about the beginning of life, and um, and so, you know, we journeyed through that a little bit and incorporated a little bit of science. Um, <clears throat> you know, again, like I said, when you look at information that's out there, uh, science in and of itself, I, I just say this again because I think it's really important um, for us to know that uh, as people of God, sometimes we can do ourselves a disservice by rejecting information. Now, I'm not saying that you embrace all information. You have to scrutinize what you receive, but don't discredit everything that's out there because there is some validity to some of the information that's out there. And again, science is just a matter of articulating what God has already brought into existence. That's science in its purest form. When you put the agenda of man or the enemy and mix that into science, then it's an effort to try to disprove God by using what God has made. Isn't that crazy? How can you disprove God by using the things that he already put in existence? You can't cancel God out. Everything you look at, no matter where you go, how you, you know, how much you research, you're going to always come to a point where you realize, man, this was above us. This was beyond us. This is a phenomenon that we really can't explain, but so much. We can only provide but so much information. And so, again, you know, being uh, knowing that there are some things, there are some theories that people came out with to try to articulate the beginning of life and how things came into existence. And in some ways, they were 
somewhat accurate okay um but then they try to take it a little bit too far and so then we got all these other things these other theories out there um and then we talked about the fall of man and that's what we was we started out talking about and i made a statement and i still stand by the statement that everything that god made was good Seven times it's recorded in Genesis chapter 1, and God looks at everything that he made. It was good. Amen? We talked about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I made the statement again that God never labeled the tree as evil itself, but it was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge we know defined as information. Amen? So here's the deal. In the beginning, when God gave the command to Adam and Eve, he says he put everything in place and he says, don't eat from this tree. Remember, we talked about it. He gave them one rule to follow. So for all those who complain about all the rules and regulations that we have to follow today. Well, guess what? He made it really easy for us. We messed it up. Just don't eat from one tree, but you have 10,000 other trees you can eat from, Adam, Eve, You can even eat from the tree of life. Isn't it amazing? God did not force them to eat from the tree of life, which was in the middle of the garden. But they had the option to eat from it. How do we know that? Because after they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and God came to judge them, he says, I got to kick them out of here and I can't allow them to come and eat from the tree of life because they can partake of that. And then they're going to be around forever. But they're going to be around forever in this bad state. So he took away that option. Now, we're going to try to we're going to try to tie wrap this up today. I'm going to bring out some points. Here's the thing. Three factors surrounding the fall of man. Three factors. The first one is Satan's influence. Not Satan's control because he was never in control. It was his influence. So you know the story, uh, Genesis chapter 3, Satan approached Eve. He began to engage in a conversation. Remember what I told y'all? The distraction, the deception, and ultimately bringing about destruction. Let me take your focus and attention away from what God is saying. Not just what God is saying. It's okay to retain the knowledge, but let me get you to think differently about the significance of of what God is telling you. The importance of why God is telling you what he's telling you. Think about it. Today, why do we have people questioning what God said? They acknowledge that he said it, but they question his motives. Can I encourage you in something? Be careful. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to be inquisitional, but be careful that your questions do not become allegations. We have questions about a lot of things in life. That's okay. God knows we're going to have questions. That's why he allows us to be or allows information to be revealed to us from time to time so that we are clued in on things that we need to know. Let me tell you this. There is an answer to every question that you have. There is an answer to it. But it's not always necessary for you to know the answer to every question that you have on this side of the earth. 
this side of the world. Some questions you won't get answers to until you make it to the other side. That's why it's okay sometimes to just say, I don't know. Because anything beyond that, now you're making up stuff. Amen? Sometimes it's just okay to say, I don't know. You know, I was talking to a chaplain a couple weeks ago, excuse me, and, you know, we were talking about the efforts that sometimes, uh, you know, we make to try to comfort other people. When we're talking about people that lose a loved one, you know, they die or whatever the case may be, and we make efforts to try to comfort them. But we got to be careful that we don't put out invalid information. I can't tell you where they are now. God did not disclose that to me. It is not my job to tell you that. Sometimes it's okay to be quiet and just let them go through the process. Because even when you tell some folks that they're still going to deal with the process, they still got to go through the process of healing. So what did you accomplish? The only thing now you did was put out information that you really don't know is true or not. So you made it worse. You put yourself in a bad position. Don't try to be God. Let God be God. And whatever he gives us, that's what we use. Amen? I wonder if we used what God gave us and focused on that a little bit more than trying to do his job, if we'd be a lot more effective as a body. So, he gave influence. He engaged in conversation. He made Eve begin to ponder on this tree and the decision to eat from this tree regardless because she was already aware of what God said not to do. But Satan didn't force her to eat from that tree. So he influenced her. The second thing is man's decision or man's uh, disobedience. So you've got Satan's influence and then man's disobedience. Now, man's disobedience was an act. Again, I say sin is not a thing. It's not an animate thing. Sin is a, is a thought or an action, some behavior that opposes God. That's the essence of sin. John chapter 10, I'm going to go back a little bit. John chapter 10, verse 10. This is what John says. Jesus is, well, excuse me, this is what Jesus says in the book of John. He says, the thief... Cometh not, but what? For to to steal and to kill and to destroy. Of course, we know what Jesus says. I come that you I am come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Jesus, in essence, became the tree of life. So that's pretty awesome. But right here it tells us. 
the thief's intent. Now, if I know that a person is coming and approaching me with the intent to steal something from me and to kill me and to destroy me, do you think I would just stand there and just let them continue to approach me? I'm going to do everything I can to get away from them, right? This is letting us know when Satan is approaching you, it's not because he wants to be your friend. He cares nothing about us. Oh, he'll give off the illusion that he cares. That's why the scripture says he was, he was more subtle than any other creature. Because he knew how to make it seem like he actually cared. But his intent all along was to destroy what God put in place. First Peter 5 and 8. Peter says, be sober. Be vigilant. Why? He, he, he made it really clear. Now look at what he said. Your adversary, the devil. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? You look to your left, to your right, to your front, to your back. That's not your enemy. We talked about this before, right? So it's important to identify who your enemy is. Part of the reason why we're not successful in the fight is because we're fighting the wrong enemy. We beat each other up. And guess who's getting the glory out of it? And he only had to do nothing but sit back and watch as we destroy ourselves. Because we're fighting the wrong one. But he says, your adversary, the devil, as, look at this now, as a roaring lion. Didn't call him a roaring lion. When we talk about the lion of Judah, right? Right? We always talk about the lion being the king, right? Oh, there's only one king. It didn't say he was a lion. He said as a roaring lion. Why did he use that analogy? Because like we said before, one of the things that the enemy will do, or one of the things if you know about nature, a lion will do when they roar, it's to intimidate you. A lion will not roar if he knows he can actually get to you. Watch what they do. They crouch. They become very quiet. They blend in. They make it seem like there's nothing else there. There's no harm. There's no danger. Y'all see the? Until that moment hits. And by the time you realize what's going on, it's too late. Now you're fighting for your life. But look at what it says. He walks about as a roaring lion. He is literally searching every moment. He's not satisfied. Now, here's what gets me. We put God on trial. God, 
Why did he create the tree in the first place? If he wouldn't have created the tree, we wouldn't have had these issues. So one aspect, one thing I have to say, or one response I have is this. If the tree was such an issue, explain to me why Satan himself made the decision he made because there was no tree involved at that point in time. Look at the timeline. In order for Satan to approach and tempt Eve, before they fell, there was a fall of angels. So who caused Satan to fall? This is a heavenly being, right? When God created him, because that's what happened, God created him, along with the rest of the angels. They were perfect heavenly beings, but guess what? They had a choice. There was no tree at the time. And there was no person called sin walking around saying, I'm about to get you to... No. Him and a third of heaven's angels were evicted from heaven because they were in opposition to God. Guess what? Satan made the decision himself. But what's more fascinating, if you will, to me, is that he convinced a third of heaven's angels to follow after him. And these are heavenly beings. They see things a whole lot differently than we see it. They know what's going on in the supernatural world. So then question, ladies and gentlemen, if he's able to deceive a third of heaven's angels, what makes you think you're so smart that he can't deceive you? So then, is God really on trial? Is it God's fault? The fall of heaven's angels didn't happen because God set them up for failure. How much better could you have it? Man, you in heaven. <laughs> what else do you need? I want to be God. Messed it up, and he got kicked out. And I imagine, I imagine that the enemy, because he got kicked out, remember his intent was to be like God, right? Man, I'm going to try to get through this as best as I can. This, this is really, it blows my mind, so I'm really trying to, I'm still processing it. But his intent was to be like God. Since he got kicked out, he was devalued. But then he saw an opportunity because of God creating man and everything that he put in place, it was perfect, right? So he saw an opportunity to try to influence and then become what it is he wanted to become. Guess what? He talks to the man and he tries to influence them because if I can get you to believe what I'm saying to you, in essence, you're going to credit me for it. So guess what? 
the more you listen to me, the more godlike I become to you. So I may not be able to rule in heaven. We know the truth in the supernatural, but if I can convince you that I am who I'm not, it's okay because I still get that sense of glory. The scripture refers to Satan as what? The God of this. Isn't that interesting? So now we got a world full of people who really don't know. This is why we say they're lost. They don't know who God is. They think they're serving God by doing good deeds. They think they're serving God by being good people. But Satan is okay with you doing good deeds and being good people. But he's not okay with you being godly. That's why some folks are good people, good people, good hearted people, but won't come to church. So if you're good, what's the problem with church? Because you can only get gooder. I use that intentionally. Right? What's the problem with church? No, because that, that doesn't fall in line with my agenda. You ever notice it's always an inconvenience for the world to come to church? Think about it. For some of us, before we came in the church, we had a whole lot of other things we could think of doing besides going to church. And, oh, it always happened to be on Sunday. Well, Sunday's a, you know, the family day. That's the day we get together and we kind of just have a barbecue and we, you know, we kind of fellowship. Yeah, well, we could all do that at church. You can still have your barbecue afterwards. If it's like the old days now, you had church like three times a day. Got early morning, you know, church, prayer. We got Sunday school. We got morning worship. We got evening worship or afternoon worship. Evening devotion. And don't forget choir rehearsal tomorrow. Tuesday night Bible study. Thursday church prayer. And if the adults wasn't rehearsing, it was the kids' choir that was rehearsing. We always had something going on. We done scaled it down a lot. But for, for whatever reason, folks still see an issue with coming to church. But I like to believe it's not a matter of just coming to the church. But it's what happens when they come. Because there's a conviction process that's happening. It's provoking me to do more than what I'm doing. It's allowing me to see that, you know what? As much as I'm doing, there's more required of me. And if I'm not ready to change and I'm not ready to do that, I can't handle that. So i got to stay away from that. Anyway, the enemy wants... To get the glory. He wants to destroy what God has put in place. He's out to try to prove he's something that he's not. So he goes about and he deceives. He influences. 
Anybody ever wonder, and again, this is just, this is just me, y'all. This is how I look at it. When God punished Adam and Eve and the serpent, anybody ever wonder why he cursed the ground? What did the earth do? What it was supposed to, right? Why did he curse the ground? Again, this is just me, but go back to Genesis chapter 1. Y'all don't have to take this as doctrine. I'm just, you know, pointing something out that stood out to me. Go to verse, (coughs) excuse me, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So that's what he did in verse 27. He told them to be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. What that tells me is that God gave the earth into the hands of man. But by virtue of man being irresponsible in their decision, look at what he said when he he gave the sentence in chapter 3. He says, I am cursing the ground for your sake. It's not going to produce to you like it was before. Because of your choice, this is what you brought upon the earth. Because I entrusted you with making the right decision, guess what you did? Your choices have not only affected you, but it's affected the entire earth. Here's your result. Now, what does that include to me? Look at what he said. You got dominion over the fish of the sea and over, right, over the fall of the air, over the things that creep upon the earth. You ever wonder why now we got animals acting crazy, killing man? Things were brought out of order because of disobedience. The disobedience of man caused chaos. I often wondered, you know, when you talk about, we always, we talk about the existence of dinosaurs and things like that, and obviously there's some things that would point or allude to the fact that they did exist, and I always wondered, how could man live around those big beasts and there not be an issue? But look at what God did when he put everything in place. It was perfect. There was an order put in place from the beginning. God already, the the animals knew what their position was in life. They knew where man stood when God created man. All of creation knew. Oh, man, that's, no, we can't mess with that. We can't mess with man like that. There was no violence. There was no murder. There was none of that. You can walk up to a lion and pet it and say, man, look at the little kitty cat. That's all right. 
But as a result of disobedience, chaos, confusion, things became disrupted from the way God had it. So guess what? Maybe this is what God was trying to prevent in the first place when he said, don't eat from this tree. Immediately when they ate from the tree, the scripture says their eyes became opened. And automatic, immediately after that, they experienced shame. Because guess what? Anytime you're in sin, it's going to bring Shame. Then they started seeing something wrong with being naked. They That was wrong, and so they had to go cover up. And look how quickly things happened. They understood that they were wrong because as soon as they realized God was coming, what did they try to do? That's the easiest way to tell that somebody has done something wrong. Today we see it. Cops rolling through the neighborhood. And all those jokers that's selling drugs and everything else, what the first thing they do? Disperse. 5 Everybody running and hiding. I used to always see it growing up in my neighborhood. They be on the roof and everything. They just got lookouts. Here come 5 you ain't never seen so many roaches. I mean, uh, people just scattering all over the place. Hiding. Because they knew they were wrong. To top that off, God comes and he addresses Adam. He says, listen. Now, God didn't ask this as if he just didn't know. It wasn't like God was clueless. But he says, where you at? In other words, I know there's something wrong because we have a relationship. The way we used to commune, when I would come, there was no hiding. So spiritually, where are you at? Because I feel like there is a disconnect. You ever sense that? Somebody that you went, somebody that you connected to, you didn't have to say a word, but you just sent something is wrong. God sensed that with Adam. So he says, where are you? What's what's really happening, Adam? Guess what? He's saying the same thing to some of us today. Where are you really? Do you realize I've been calling after you? I've been trying to commune with you. I've been trying to, you know, have a relationship with you. There's some things I want to talk to you about. But your ears have been stopped. Your eyes have become blinded. And you have become immobile spiritually. I can't connect with you. You've been working on this wall that you've been building up for so many years. And now you feel like you protected, but you have rejected me. But I want to connect with you. Where you at, Adam? 
Adam calls out because I presume that Adam, you know, he feels like, you know what? There's no place I can really hide from God. I'm hiding over in this tree. Because I'm naked. Wait a minute, Adam. Hold on. <laughs> Last time we talked, different conversation. You wouldn't even think about you being naked. So who told you you was naked? Well, God, you see what had happened was that woman that you gave me. Well, a result of sin, guess what happens? I find it amazing that that a lot of our society don't want to accept responsibility for their actions. Talk to some of the folks that go to jail when they get arrested. I caught you in the act. How is this not your fault? You was in the bank. You own the cameras. I caught you coming out with the bags of money. How is it not your fault? Little kids, I got little kids at home still, and you know, first thing they want to just, no, it wasn't my fault. You ever had little kids, somebody, you know, one hits the other, and the other one hits them back, but instead of telling that they hit them first, they'll come and say, well, so-and-so hit me. Okay, but what did you do? Well, I neglected to tell you that I hit them first, but you know, it's not the point. Because it's not my fault. The woman that you gave me. So here's the first instant where man began to first blame God. Look what he said. The woman that you gave me. See, here's the problem, God. <laughs> I was good. Man, when I was on this earth, I was good. I named all the animals. I, you know, I had all these trees of myself. I knew what you said. I wasn't going to do it. I had no issues. But you said, it's not good for me to be by myself. So you had the bright idea to give me this woman. This isn't, I know, look, I know I'm animating this thing, but really that's, that's the essence of it. That's the reality of it. You had that bright idea, God, to give me this woman. So because you gave me this woman, and she convinced me. I think the kids was learning the memory verse in there, and part of the verse says something like, uh, quit you like men. Anyway, just wanted to throw that out there. But, uh. The woman convinced me to eat. Now, from a righteous standpoint, looking at it from God's perspective, you knew better just as much as Eve. So even if Eve made the decision, where were you, Adam? We used to commune a lot before Eve came along. So where did you go wrong? 
How did you ever come to the point of allowing the person that you're with on this earth that I made for you to trump the things that I established for you to begin with? But all too often, that's what's happening today. Our relationships with one another is actually driving us. We're letting it drive us away from. That's why it's so important. We talk to our young people. Young people need to know you can't just yoke up with anybody. Don't compromise who you are because you're chasing after a relationship with some other being that God created. You need to understand that whoever God meant for you, that's who he has for you. And in order for you to get yoked up or become joined properly, you got to connect with the right source and make sure that everything you're yoking up with is in line with God. And every choice that you are making is in line with God. Just because God brought us together doesn't mean that I have to listen to everything that she is saying if it's, if it's not in line with what God is saying. Me and my wife, we talk a lot, and there's a lot of things that we agree on. But my wife knows there's sometimes where I'm sitting on my knees and I'm saying, Lord, I know that you're leading me to do this. I know that Nobody else really agrees, but I'm, I'm going to stand on what you're telling me. And regardless of who you are, whether it's a man or a woman, we have to be at that point that nobody drives us away from what God is telling us. Does that make sense? I know I got a little excited, but it's important for us to know that as, as children of God, at any instant, if you are yoked up with somebody, you're joined. I don't care. We've been brothers and sisters in Christ for years. But if you go off the deep end, I'm not going with you. The same applies in the church. We talk about the man of God. And we've, we've mentioned many things about the man of God. And I'm just saying that I don't see this happening. But I say this. It does not matter what even the preacher, today I can be here speaking to you and under the anointing and tomorrow I can walk away from this thing. But guess what? That should not deter you from doing what God has told you to do. You don't leave the church because somebody fell away. You following them. Amen. Woo. Eve responds and says, well, I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. It's the serpent. He tricked me. That's partly right, Eve. But he didn't force you. Anybody ever wonder why a serpent didn't try to come up with a justification? Besides the fact that he ain't had nobody else to blame. I believe the serpent understood there was no way out of what took place. I can come up with excuses. I'm the master of excuses. But there's no excuse I can give to God that would make me just in my actions when I oppose God. He knew that. There was nothing he could say. But also notice God never questioned him. God already knows his intent. I don't have to ask you. Only thing I'm going to do for you is just give you the sentence. He didn't have to ask man either. 
but he wanted man to recognize their error and that it was their doing. Brothers and sisters, here's, here's the critical part to really understand about this before we get into God's justice, because I do want to hit on that. When God made everything, he set one rule in place. But what he was literally saying, because he gave us the power or the ability to choose, and what he was saying is, if you decide to follow me, you are choosing life. If you decide to reject me, you are choosing your own demise. Like I tell my children, the act of disobedience is you basically saying, I don't want this part of life. Well, the more you reject your own life, you only have one other option, which is to die. So how much, how long will you reject life? How long will you reject God before you become non-existent? You lose your own opportunity to continue on in life. Why? Because you've rejected life. See, there was no option of, well, just, you know, choose between good and bad. It was choose to do what God said or choose not to. That's what good and evil was. That's what it is today. That's sin I got a couple of things I got to read. So James chapter one, I'm going to read a couple of verses here. I'm going to try to get through some of this other stuff because I want to I want to try to wrap this up next week. We're going to be talking about the plan of salvation. So I don't want to draw this out too much because I want to get into the plan of salvation. That's awesome. Good news. James chapter one, verses 12 through 15 and verse 17. This is what he says. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, given that he is successful in the trial, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say in verse 13. Look at this. Let no man say. When he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And let's go ahead and just plug this word in there. Sin. God cannot be tempted with sin. Neither tempteth he any man. So it's not God that's tempting you to sin. But look at what he says here in verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own. Your desires is what causes you to draw or to to go away, to stray away. But look at what he says, not just drawn away, because you can correct that. Repentance is what? Turning around, right? Pastor brought that out uh, just that, you know, we've been talking about it. You can turn away from that thing. Drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, verse 15 says, then when lust or your desires has produced something. First, you think about it. That's what happened with Eve, right? She looked at it. She pondered on it. But when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Not as an animate object, but it's producing the act of disobedience against God. 
Think about something long enough. That's why the scripture talks about if a man looks on her, looks on a woman, lusts after her, because it's already registering in your thought process. But some point in time, because we have the Holy Ghost, we can shut that off and say, not so. I'm going to put my mind on the things of God. Think on these things. If there be any virtue and there be any praise, think on these things. Whatsoever things are good, honest, right? All these things. We need to think on those things. We already talked about the thoughts, the, the way the mind works, and so it's important. It's an important part of that. But once lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth, or it produces, the result is sin. The essence of sin is the act or the thought of disobedience against God. That's what sin is. So you want to know how sin came into the world? We brought it in. Every time we do or we make a decision or we go against God, we are invoking sin in our lives. We're doing it. And sin, when it is finished, look at what it says, bringeth forth death. The wages of sin is death. That's what we have to look forward to. That's what sin will result in death. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Remember we talked about it. Everything good comes from God, right? And cometh down from the Father of lights. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is not evil. He has no sin, nor does he produce sin. He cannot sin. It's a total contradiction to the essence of his character to sin. He cannot sin. You know what I say to folks that always put God on trial is, you know, well, why did he do this and why did he set us up? Here's my thing. If you're so righteous to put God on trial, then why can't you stop the bad habits that you have in your life? God's justice, Isaiah 45 and 7. I got to do this real quick. Isaiah 45. Verse 7, you know, you got other verses in there, but I'm just pointing this verse out. God, in this particular verse, and I want to talk about this because this is the really the one verse that if you were listening to the other lesson or the part of the lesson, you heard me say God did not create evil. Okay, and we just replaced the word evil, what we're talking about, sin. But look at this verse here. He says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace. And create evil, I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, y'all see that, right? That's a contradiction, Brother Miller. But let's look at this the way we need to look at it. In fact, I'm going to read something from Matthew Henry's uh, commentary. And then I'm going to read something I, I, I saw online, which I thought really articulated it very well. But right off the bat, I'm just going to tell you that this is not referring to God creating sin. God created the penalty for sin. The other word that they use in here is calamity. If you look in the Amplified Version, they use the word calamity or disaster. God creates these things as a result or as a penalty for sin. Everybody with me? All right. But let's go to, I want to I read this real quick, and I'm, hopefully I got a little bit of time. I'll try to get through this. I know I'm going a little bit over. I'm sorry, Pastor. I just want to do this, and we will wrap this up. Everybody all right? Verse 7. So this is what 
Just reading this little blurb here. There's no God beside Jehovah. The commentary says there is nothing done without him. He makes peace put here for all good and creates evil, not the evil of sin, but the evil of punishment. He is the author of all that is true, holy, good or happy and evil and error and misery came into the world by his permission. So when we talk about God's divine will and God's permissive will, God's divine will was for us to live the way he designed us, the way he created everything to be perfect without sin. But because he gave us the ability to choose, he permitted us to make the decision or the choice that we made. But as a result of making that decision, there is a consequence. Did he not forewarn them? He gave them the forewarning, right? If I was trying to set you up, I wouldn't have gave you that warning to begin with. But he gave them a warning. Came into the world by his permission through the willful apostasy of his creatures. In other words, we're the ones that made the choice and the decision to do what we did. We're the ones that brought that in, brought that about. All right, I'm going to read this real quick, and then uh, I'm going to wrap this up. So I was looking online, and I found this. It doesn't have an author, but I like the way he articulates it. He says, at first, it might seem, the question is, did God create evil? He says, at first, it might seem that if God created all things, then evil must have been created by God. However, evil is not a thing like a rock or electricity. You cannot have a jar of evil. Evil has no existence of its own. It is really the absence of good. For example, holes are real, but they only exist in something else. We call the absence of dirt a hole, but it cannot be separated from the dirt. So when God created, it is true that all he created was good. One of the things God made was the creatures who had the freedom to choose good. In order to have a real choice, God had to allow there to be something besides good to choose. So God allowed these free angels and humans to choose good or reject good, which is evil. When a bad relationship exists between two good things, we call that evil. But it does not become a thing that, re that required God to create it. Perhaps a further illustration would help. If a person is asked, does cold exist? The answer would likely be yes. However, this is incorrect. Cold does not exist. Cold is the absence of heat. Similarly, darkness does not exist. It is the absence of light. Evil is the absence of good, or better, evil is the absence of God. God did not have to create evil, but rather only allow for the absence of good. God did not create evil, but he does allow evil. If God had not allowed for the possibility of evil, both mankind and angels would be serving God out of obligation, not choice. He did not want robots that simply did what he wanted them to do because they were programmed to. God allowed for the possibility of evil so that we can genuinely have a free will and choose whether or not we wanted to serve him. Let's look at it this way. We can have a lot of inquisitions and questions about why God did what he did. But enjoy the fact that he privileged us to, one, experience life, an extension of him, life. And then, two, giving us the free will, even though he created us for a specific purpose, giving us the free will to choose him. That being said, there's a responsibility. With every privilege, there's a responsibility. God wants us to be responsible and make the right choices to choose him. And we're going to talk about how next week with the plan of salvation. God bless you. Let's take a break and be ready for a dynamic service in Jesus' name.